We've been looking at uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, and I would like to continue on with that study. Uh, I've been doing it a little different. Instead of going verse by verse or chapter by chapter, I've been looking at themes that seem to be thread all the way through that particular epistle. Last week, the thread we followed was uh, the, uh, the job description of a minister. Uh, Paul was very emphatic about what that was and what that was not, that God determines the responsibilities, not men, whether it be preachers or a congregation. Uh, this week, I'd like to look at the thread that flows through it that is the subject of sufferings, suffering start. Uh, if you have your Bibles and would go to chapter 1, I want to show you that uh, it starts right off out of the chute, talking about sufferings. I'm in 2 Corinthians 1. I'm going to start in verse 4. Notice the tribulation, the trouble, the sufferings, the, the despair, the afflictions. Look at all this description here in the beginning. This goes throughout the whole book. Verse 4 says, Who comforted us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is the effectual enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, and whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that it is ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came unto us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure." above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. Look at those words, just in that short passage. Tribulation, trouble, sufferings, pressed out of measure, despaired, and the sentence of death. That's pretty short stuff. And you know what? Doesn't get much better. It's woven throughout the whole book. Let's go to the end. Let's look at another passage there. Let's go to chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading at verse 5. This is Paul talking about his own situation. In verse 5 it says, Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. So much for a feel-good gospel. Amen. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think me above, which, above that which seeth, seemeth, seeth me to be, or that heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Lord, please take this away. I asked you three times. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says not yet. In this case, Paul, to Paul, he said no. Verse 9, 
And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Really, Paul? I take pleasure in my infirmities, in my reproaches, in my necessities, in my persecutions, in my distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <clears throat> so, Paul, what, do you, what exactly are you trying to tell this particular church? And what can we learn 2,000 years later here in Virginia of, the, of Virginia of the United States? Does it apply? What applies? And that's what I'm scratching my head on. Now, I don't know how good your memories are, but I've kind of addressed this subject twice in the last four years. About two years ago, I preached a message called the austerity gospel, okay? And austerity is the exact opposite of prosperity. You've heard of the prosperity gospel. That's where you do this and God's gonna bless you with all these earthly blessings. You'll hear that message from a lot of the, not a lot, but there's, where you hear that message the most is, it seems like on television, okay? You'll hear that kind of stuff on television. You just give money and God will just flood your bank account. You'll have more money you know what to do with. Well, you're not given to glorify God. You're given to get, right? But that's the message that's presented. And I tried to show in that message that that's not scripture at all. Paul told ministers to expect suffering. First Timothy 4.10, he says, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust God. He's trying to prepare his son in the ministry that life is not going to be a cakewalk. 2 Timothy 2.9, he says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. He got thrown in jail for what he believed. 2 Timothy 3.12, all that will live godly in Jesus Christ shall suffer persecution. Well, boy, that looks like a rosy outlook, right? So this is in direct contrast. No, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to scare the daylights out of you and deny your faith. That's not what I want at all. But at the same time, if you're looking for an easy road, you're going to have some troubles. There will be a storm. Amen? It's not if, it's when. Okay? And then he tried to prepare believers to expect the same thing. Philippians 1.29 in Acts 5.41, he says, they departed rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of his name. Philippians 2.17 and 18, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice. James 1.2, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. And that's not actually being tempted and succumbing to it. It's just the trial of the temptation. Count it joy? It's a little bit different than the world portrays. We live in a very shallow culture right now. It's give me, I want, I need, and you better make it so I'm not even offended when I get it. That's, that's not the way the gospel works. And what we found out, what we just read there in, in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was saying, you know, God blessed him with all kinds of revelations, and he and he was he was he was he was the chiefest of the apostles. He was humble about it, but he did. He he planted churches and he ordained ministers, sons in the ministries. He was inspired to write scripture. He was given revelations. He took on kings. He took on Jewish 
elite, and, and, and he was victorious in truth. And what happened was is God said, yeah, I'm giving you all that, but I'm giving you this infirmity. And I, I, think, you know, I think I've shared this before. I think it's fantastic that God didn't say what it was. Because if you've got arthritis, it could have been arthritis. If you've got uh, gout, it could have been gout. <laughs> if you've got uh, a bad back, it could have been a bad back. If you've got uh, depression, it could have been depression. I don't know what his ailment was, but whatever it was, God says, no, you know what? You're a better preacher with that ailment than without it. How can that be? Is because when you get into the stand, you depend on me more than you depend on yourself. So that makes you a better preacher, so you're going to get it. So we're looking at these sufferings. And, and, and believe me, this is not a message, no pain, no gain. That's, that's not what this message is at all. We'll go here and we'll, we'll continue on. Okay? So, so um, that last message, the austerity gospel, that was preached May 19th, 2019. So a little over three years ago. Okay? About two years ago, I preached a message called The Beatitudes Are Cued. I hope you remember that message. That's been a powerful message, and I'm still using that one today. What I did in that particular one is we looked at the Beatitudes, okay? And, and, and you remember looking at these Beatitudes, blessed are they that are poor in spirit, they that mourn, this is Matthew 5, they that are meek, they that are hunger, thirst after righteousness, be the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And the very last one is blessed are they that are persecuted for Christ's sake. And what I did in this message is I said, how can I possibly get to the point that we just read there that I actually glory in my infirmities like Paul said three or four times in 2 Corinthians. I glory in my infirmities. I don't. I look for the ibuprofen. And I take a nap and turn off the lights and say, Deborah, leave me alone and keep the girls away so I can sleep this headache off. I don't glory in my infirmities. I can't wait till it's over. How do I get there? Well, what this particular message did, the one that was preached on January 26, 2020, I said the B attitudes are something that build. The order of them are very, very important. And if you remember, I liked it to an old-fashioned potato race. Remember when you had a race and you were little kids and you took a spoon and you put a potato on it and you ran across the yard? And you're running across the yard, and if you drop the potato, you stop, you picked up the potato, but you didn't continue on the race. What you did is you went back to the starting line. And you had to start all over, and you put the potato back on there, and you kept on going. Well, that's what I believe the B attitudes is best for us. If I work and I'm poor in spirit and I'm more, and all of a sudden I have a trouble being meek, I don't keep hitting my head against the wall and keep, I gotta get meek, I gotta get meek. What I do is I go back to the start of the race and I start working on poor in spirit. And then I work on mourning over my sins. And then I take another run at meek and maybe I can get through that. And I come down here and I go all the way to maybe verse seven and I get to the place, blessed are they that are merciful, and I'm having trouble being merciful to someone. 
So I don't keep on banging my head against the wall and just trying to be merciful, merciful, merciful. I go back to the beginning of the race and I go to the place and I become poor in spirit. And then if I keep on working through the Beatitudes that way, when I take this running start and I work on those things again, I get to merciful and I can conquer it. My friends, that's the only way I'll ever get to the place where I can actually be joyful in my persecutions. All these other things have to be in line first. Some of you are looking like you hadn't, don't remember that sermon. <clears throat> it was good for me. It really pricked me. But I want to talk about this persecution, though, okay? And I want to use one of my favorite Bible characters, Peter the Apostle. Peter, the older brother of Andrew. Peter the fisherman. I like this guy because he was just so raw. He was just, his emotions came out. It flew out of his mouth. You knew what he was thinking. Even though he had been better biting his lip a lot of times, it still come flying out because that was what was on his heart. Okay? I want to look at persecutions through the eye of Peter, and then maybe after we do this, we can get a little bit of handle on what Paul's trying to teach the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. Think about it this way. Okay. Corinth was in Greece. And they had several hundred years where they basically ruled the known world. And they had a mentality of soldiers. And in that culture, soldiers and honoring soldiers and honorable soldiers was really pretty important. In that culture, a mother would rather have her son come home dead in battle than to come home and not being honorable as a soldier. That's, that was their focus. And then Rome come along and their soldiers were pretty much the same mentality. So the government that came and started ruling over Corinth was, still had that mindset. So along comes Paul and he's enduring persecution and he's enduring it in a way that's countercultural to Greece at that time. Keep that in mind as we look at Peter now, okay? So if you have your Bibles and you want to go with me, I'm going to read Matthew 26, 33 through 35. This is right before Jesus was um, going to be crucified. And this is what it says. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, this, that this night before the cockcrow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, I will not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Now, I want you to notice, well, let me, let me just read the passage. I don't want to give it away yet. Peter fully intended of protecting Jesus and actually willing to die for him. He really thought he would do it. And you know what? He did do it, Right? He had a sword in a sheath. And when the time came, he pulled it out. He stood it and he swung it and he was ready to protect Jesus. 
Let's read that. Let's go to John 18, 10 and 11. Then Simon, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? No, no, no. Jesus corrects Peter here. But Peter swore, swore, I will stand by your side and I will protect you. And he did. Amen? But he corrected him. Let's read one more thing, okay? I'm going to jump after Jesus is crucified, after he rises from the dead, and they're sitting there and they're having that fish bake on the side of the, 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 the sea, okay? Notice what it says here. This is where he says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? This is the third one. John 21, 17 and 18. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. This is, this is my take on it. You might call me crazy, but Peter said, I am willing to stand up next to you. And Jesus says, I don't want you to stand up next to me. I want you to lay down for other people. Peter was fine suffering the persecution when he was the sword-carrying soldier striking back. But Jesus says, and that's not the persecution. Look what it says here in verse 18. He says, when you were young, you girded yourself. You had your carry permit. You had your clock on your hip. You were ready to go. Got it? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but I'm talking about for the cause of Christ. Amen? For the cause of Christ. He says, I don't want that. What I want you to do is in the name of Christ, I want you to lay down. So instead of coming, girding up yourself, packing and everything, what I want you to do is open hands and let God gird you with the things you need in a spiritual sense. Now, don't, don't, please, you brothers that have a mind towards safety in the congregation, in the era we live, I love you for it. I, I am not going there. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about in the name of Christ. Okay, so with that being said, using the Apostle Peter as our illustration, let's go back to the book of 2 Corinthians and focus on all these persecutions and afflictions Paul is willing to endure. Can you understand where this Greek military culture would think Paul was kind of a wimp? Because part of him is saying, no, I don't want you to stand up next to me. I want you to lay down for others. To a macho man, that looks like a wimpy response. 
And I believe because of that, this remnant of the Corinthians that were pushing back on Paul, that were discrediting some of his ministry, didn't understand that mentality. And this is part of the message in 2 Corinthians. We can be bold in Christ. But we can also do it in a way where we're laying down our lives and we're suffering the persecution for the cause of Christ. Right? Jesus laid down for others. But he sure tipped over some tables and made a whip when his father's house was being destroyed. So, Corinthians expected... The young man's response to persecution, but did not understand the old person's response. So, the question, as in the title of this message, is drawn, sheathed, or discarded? Jesus told Peter to stick it in your sheath. He didn't say cast it away. He didn't say to draw it. He said stick it in your sheath. All right, let's see. You with me so far? Okay. Paul's sufferings, this is what Paul endured. In other words, they're questioning Paul's apostleship, and he's saying, listen, y'all, I did not do this because it's fun. I did not do it for the pay. Matter of fact, I didn't take any money from you. I didn't do it because of the esteem that I get. He said, the more I'm loved, the more I'm... Hated by you. He, he did not do it for the power because he made himself a servant. <clears throat> so Paul, why did you do it? He did it for Christ. He did it for Christ and they didn't get it. They didn't understand by doing things in the name of Christ and suffering the persecutions for Christ's sake, you can join in that. I don't know if I can do that. Well, then go back to the first beatitude. You've got to work your way up to it, right? Okay. Believe me, I'm not saying I'm there. I haven't arrived. I've got this defense mechanism, and I want to fight back and argue with someone, you know, puts a chink in my armor or makes fun of me. Hmm, that's a tough one. Okay. Here's some of the physical abuses. Here's just a couple verses. Chapter 6, 4, and 5. He says, I suffered afflictions, I suffered necessities, I suffered stress, distress, I suffered stripes, those are whippings, I suffered imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, and fastings. That's quite a list. In chapter 11, 23 to 25, he says he went through his ministry, he did it in labors, he did it in stripes, he did it in prisons, he did it in deaths, he did it in beatings, he did it with rods, he did it being stoned, he did it being shipwrecked, and he says a night in the deep, in the, a, night in, a night in the day in the deep. He was out there on the ocean, well, not the ocean, the sea. And the storm come up the Mediterranean scene, slapped his ship apart, left it a bunch of boards floating in there, and all he could do was grab a crate and hang on, and he was there for 24 hours just floating, all in the name of Jesus. I, somewhere in that 24 hours, you say, boy, this is great. I'm glorying these infirmities. No, I'm saying, sharks, don't come near me. That's what I'm praying for, no sharks, right? <laughs> you couldn't pray for a helicopter. I would, though, Okay. Chapter 11, 26 and 27, in waters, countrymen, even 
It's in the city, in the wilderness, in weariness, in pain, in hunger, and thirst. Even when I was cold, when I was naked, he suffered all those things. Paul, why'd you do it? Not for the money, not for the fame, not for the ego, because Jesus told him to. And he joyed in it because the gospel was being furthered. Okay? He suffered emotional abuses too. And 2.4, it says, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Remember he wrote that letter to the, uh, the Corinthians? And he says, oh boy, I get to exercise my do- dominion over them. And I'm going to write this letter and tell them to get in line. He says, no, it tore them up. It actually tore them up. He wrote with tears. 7.5, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. There was fightings without. There was fears within. He was just a basket case in terms of emotionally, but he wasn't really a basket case because he had Christ next to him. Remember, he wasn't standing up next to Christ. Christ was standing up next to him. Christ was asking, I don't need you to stand up next to me. I need you to lay down for other people. And that's what he was doing. In 1133, it says, The king desired to apprehend me. Apprehend me. I escaped in a basket through a window. Just the fear of having to look out for the authorities. Notice the emotional stress that goes in there. Right? Just say, I'm sorry, I don't think you'd fit through that window. Right? We'll get you out somehow. You understand? Okay. All right. The majority of 2 Corinthians defended Paul and his apostleship. He did not serve for the money. He refused financial support. He did not respond, or he didn't do this for power. He did things for, to edify them, to build them up. He did it for accolades. It says the more abundantly he loved them, the less he was loved. Boy, oh boy. That's not the way it's supposed to work, is it? No, when I give and I sacrifice, everybody say, oh, thank you so much. That's not what he got it. You, you, sorry, apostle. That's what he got. But he kept going. Okay, we got to look at sufferings from a long-term perspective. Notice what it says here. Paul did not exactly espouse no pain, no gain. When you read this, I took joy in my afflictions. I gloried in my afflictions. You're thinking, you know, no pain, no gain. Well, that would assume it's kind of like the prosperity gospel. You're given to get. Well, you're suffering the pain to get. That's not what Paul was doing. There's no promise of getting. You're suffering because Christ told you to. In one six, these all the references are from Second Corinthians. Our affliction is for your consolation and salvation. I'm suffering this for you. I am laying down for somebody else. Y'all, that's the strongest kind of power there is. Okay? 1130. If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. 
I'm not going to glory in the sermon I just preached and all the pats I got on the back. I'm not going to glory in how much scripture I've memorized. I'm not going to glory in how many books I've written, how many books have been published, or how many hits I get on the internet for the sermons I preach. I'm going to glory in my infirmities. And then 12.9, most gladly I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Well, let's, let's pick some unknown disease, all right? Um, leprosy, all right, leprosy, all right? No one here's got leprosy. We got someone that's got leprosy, okay? And, and, and they say this leprosy is absolutely terrible. I hate this leprosy. First of all, it just, it's painful. It hurts my skin. Okay, the second thing is, is it's just gross. It smells bad. The third thing is, is because that I'm quarantined and I can't say hello, I can't come to church anymore. I can't say hello to my family. I can't hug my, my wife. I can't hug my children. I can't hug my grandchildren. I've got this leprosy. It's horrible. God, please, please. And I'm trying to think back then, please let someone discover antibiotics, right? Or please just heal me and touch me and, and, and take it away and make my skin like a, a baby's bottom again. Lord, please. And God says, no. And you come back at him a week later and you pray for it again. You may even add fasting to it this time. Lord, I fasted three days and three nights and I'm asking you to take it away and nothing's happened. It's only getting worse. And then I do it again and I come back a third time. This time I'm still praying, I'm still fasting and I got a whole host of other people to pray and fast for me too. And you know what? Nothing happens. And God says, no, I'm not going to take this away from you because you're doing some preaching in the leper colony and I need someone there and you're it. So I will be with you and I will be with you and I will help you manage the pain. I will help you overcome the pain. I will help you overcome the discomfort. And I want you in this mission field of the leper colony. And Paul said, okay, I would rather be in a leper colony preaching God's word with the Holy Spirit on me than a congregation of a thousand healthy people preaching my own thoughts and having it fall deaf on ears and nothing's happening. Wow. Wow. That's that's kind of where he's coming from. Okay? I want you to notice this too. I wrote this down. Bent, but not broke. Okay? When we see all the sufferings and the persecutions and the afflictions and the trouble, they're discomforting. But God does promise he won't give you anything more than you can't handle. And you're saying, I can't handle it, and I probably say, amen. But the God who's with you and the Holy Spirit that's with you can do it, and you can get through this. So he may bend you, but he promises not to break you. And that's the promise you can take to the bank. Okay? Notice what it says here. One, four. These are all Second Corinthians. Comfort us 
in all our tribulations. You know, I had a real hard time coming up with a title for this sermon. Okay. I wanted to say persecution isn't fun, but we can glory in it. That didn't didn't make any sense, but that's basically what this is. Who wants to say afflictions is fun? No, no one's going to say that. No one in the right mind will say that. But it could be good for you. It could be good for him. It could be good for others. It could be good for his cause. And Lord, I'm just a pawn in your, I'm just a player. I'm a role player. I don't know what my role is. I want to be the king. I like being the king. Okay, I'll be a rook. You make me a pawn? Okay, I'll play the best pawn I know how to be. That's, That's what that is. Four seven. Notice what it says here. Troubled but not distressed. Persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. Sounds like the making is a pretty good hymn, huh? There you go. <laughs> That'd probably be our closing hymn. You got it? You've already got it picked out? There it is. Bent but not broken. Yeah, he'll 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 try you. He'll try you. But he'll not break you. You know, there's a I think you've probably heard this example <clears throat> in the old days with the goldsmiths and the silversmiths. And what they would do is they would take a precious metal like gold or, or silver and maybe it was an old piece of jewelry and they would set it in there and they would put it in the fire, right? And they would put it and get it really, really hot. And they would get it. Why did they get it so hot? Because of what they were trying to do is they were trying to burn out, burn out all the imperfections and all the metals that didn't belong with it. But there was a point where you can get it so hot that it breaks down the gold. So the key was for the jeweler or the, or the man that was forging the metal to put it in there to get hot enough to get rid of all the, uh, all the imperfections. But it wanted so hot that it broke down the integrity of the metal. That was a very um, precious talent for someone with that ability. Well, God has that ability and that's what he does with you. He purges the imperfections out of you, but he doesn't do a plant where he breaks down the integrity of the person. That's him. Okay? And then finally, 6, verses 9 and 10. Dying, yet alive. Chastened, but not killed. In sorrow, nevertheless rejoicing. And poor, yet making others rich. I'm poor, but I'm making others rich. How can you do that? If you got the words of Jesus Christ, you're a rich person. If you got the hope of his salvation and his return, you are a rich person. And then finally, the best way is, and I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles there. It's having that eternal perspective. So I'm going to go to my Bible. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. I want to read 17 and 18. And then we'll read the first couple verses of chapter 5. Notice the eternal perspective. Verse 17 says, For our light affliction. I go, yeah, Paul, you call it light. This is really heavy to me. which is but for a moment, 
worketh for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, right now you're focused on the cancer. You're focused on a bad economy. You're focused on 17% inflation. You're focused on a world that's gone crazy. You can see all that stuff. That concerns us. Okay, you know, again, we don't ignore it, but at the same time, our eyes are past it, and we're looking at the things that are not seen, the things that are eternal. Let's keep on going. In chapter 5 and verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house, that's this physical body of this tabernacle, were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There's another one of our hymns, amen? Verse 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. That's what happens every time Sister Rhoda calls out a heaven hymn when we start our service. You know what she's doing? She's groaning for heaven. This, this, this body is temporary. It's breaking down. It's getting old. The dye and the hair follicles are running out, so that's why white starts coming out. Yep. The elasticity in our skin starts giving out, and that's why it doesn't pop back. There's a little, it leaves a little bit of wrinkles and impressions there. Our joints are getting a little wore out. That's why you don't jump out of bed like this anymore, and you've got to kind of loosen it up before you get going. All this stuff, is, it's just wearing out. And we're saying, Lord, take me home. There's a new house up there. There's a new body up there. I'm waiting for that body. When you coming back, today would be fine. That'd be fine with me. Yesterday would be better. Amen? But we need that perspective. So when we start looking at life with those kind of perspectives, all of a sudden these little problems that we have here on earth, we think they're big. And some of them might really be big in an earthly sense. But when you take earth and compare it to heaven, no, they're little. They're little. So when we come back to Paul, he's talking to a church. They're discrediting him. They don't think he's a full-fledged apostle. He's saying, look at all these sufferings that I'm going through. And the reason why I'm going through these sufferings is because I'm not a weenie, right? I'm not a limp-wristed guy. I'm doing it because I'm choosing not to stand beside you. I'm choosing to lay down for you, which takes a lot more strength and character So, if you're having trouble understanding this, I would encourage you to go back to the Beatitudes and don't just bear down on persecution, which is the eighth and the last one, because that's the hardest. Start at the top. Poor in spirit. And did you know of these Beatitudes? He talked about every single one of them in 2 Corinthians. (coughs) Verse 3 says, Be poor in spirit. 3.5 says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. In other words, what I think really doesn't matter. The only way you're going to get there is if you're poor in spirit. We mourn. Out of much affliction and anguish I wrote with many tears unto you. I didn't write because I'm better than you. Matter of fact, writing you grieves me. 
because I know I'm just as much a sinner as you are, and who am I to correct you? The only thing I am is I'm God's messenger, so I'm doing this because God told me to write it, but it applies to me also. Meek, verse 4, 5. We preach not ourselves, but Jesus, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Paul's saying, I'm a servant. I'm not your boss. I'm not your overseer. I don't have any dominion over you. Matter of fact, I'm your servant. I'm ready to get down my knees and wash your feet. I'm ready to lay down for you. And then you can go through the whole list. So may the Lord bless us as we go through our lives. Uh, Continue to pray for each other. Pray for those who are in office above us. But pray that we would have opportunities to lay down for others. And when those opportunities come, we don't excuse it. We don't act slow so someone else does it before us real fast so we don't have to do it. We say, Lord, thank you for the opportunity, and we do it joyfully. That's a mature Christian. Maybe one day I'll get there.